Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 2. Almost every year when I preach at Christmas time, I always tell you that I love Christmas movies. I love It's a Wonderful Life. In fact, today, December 20th, is the day that it was put out in 1946. December 20th, 1946. So I love A Christmas Carol. I love White Christmas. And I especially love um, White Christmas and I love A Christmas Carol. And I love every version of this movie, especially the one with George C. Scott. Now, some of you may be wondering why I love a movie like that that is, um, portrays salvation as a works righteousness system. Well, I look at the production in a different way through the eyes of redemption, through the eyes of grace. And, and in the first part of the movie, you all know Ebenezer Scrooge is a bitter old man. He's bitter because of the misfortunes of the past. He's bitter because he followed after money instead of marrying uh, his young uh, person that he loved when he was younger. His anger and bitterness show in the way that he treats children, in the way that he treats the poor, in the way that he treats his family, and especially in the way that he treats Bob Cratchit. He especially hates Christmas because he has to spend money to give to the poor, to give presents, and to give his employees time off. He says, bah humbug to it all. Now, he is the perfect picture of a man who is lost in his trespasses and sins, who hates everything to do with God, and especially he hates the Christmas season when we celebrate the greatest gift ever given, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know the rest of the story. Scrooge wakes up on Christmas morning a changed man. It's as if he was born again. He wakes up with shouts of excitement. He's been given a second chance of life, and he's filled with great joy. And that's what our new birth gives to us, a second chance at life, a new ability to please God when we never had that ability before. We as Christians celebrate at Christmas the greatest gift ever given. And Christ came to this earth as a babe to save his people from their sins. He lived a perfect life. He kept every aspect of the law because he knew that we couldn't do it. He died on the cross. He paid for our sins because he knew that we couldn't. He regenerated our hearts. He made us born again. He called us to himself because he knew that we wouldn't do that. If you are a Christian this morning, then you have been given the greatest gift ever given. And so what I want you to do this morning is ask yourself this question. How am I responding to this gift? 
How am I responding to this gift? In fact, um, this isn't in the sermon. Denise just got a gift a little while ago, and she opened it up just a few minutes ago, and she got so excited. I mean, she went, wow, right? Um, is that your life? Is that how you're reacting to the gift of Christ? Or is your life an illustration of bah humbug? Bah humbug. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is the word of God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them, Where is the Messiah to be born? They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what was, has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he said to them to, to, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground, and they worshipped him. Then, opening gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, this, this story focuses on the coming King of kings and Lord of lords, of course, Jesus Christ. But also in this story is how men respond to the gift that God has given. We're going to look this morning at the response of the Magi and how we can respond in like manner. And the first thing that we're going to look at is the Magi's response of obedience. Look at the first two verses again. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, who are these guys? You know, who are these guys called Magi? Well, the first thing that I want to do is, is I don't want to bust your bubble, but they are not kings. There's probably not three of them. Their names were not Melchior, Belshazzar, and Casper. And finally, they didn't arrive on Christmas Day. They probably arrived about three to six months later. You look at verse 11, it talks about Mary and Joseph already being in a house. So this was later on. Um, after the birth of Christ. Um, my mom, knowing these facts, 
when she used to set up her nativity, she would put the nativity in the living room and she would put the magi in the bathroom. <laughs> that was figuratively showing a distance of three to six months in between those two. She wanted to be accurate, you know, in her portrayal of the nativity scene. But um, the Magi, one writer says this about the wise men. He says, the Magi first appeared in history in the 7th century B.C. as a tribe within the Midian nation in eastern Mesopotamia. Many historians considered them to be Semites, which, if so, made them, along with the Jews and the Arabs, descendants of Noah's son, Shem. It may also be that, like Abraham, the Magi came from the ancient Ur in the Chaldea. Now listen to this part. History tells us that no Persian was ever able to become king without mastering the scientific and religious disciplines of the Magi and then being approved and crowned by them. Maybe that's the reason why they came to, to Bethlehem, to tell the world and the Jewish world that Jesus is the King of Kings. You know, we, we also learn from the book of Daniel that the Magi were the highest ranking officials in Babylon right under King Nebuchadnezzar. And you remember the story how Daniel interpreted the dream from Nebuchadnezzar when the wise men couldn't do it. And basically, he saved their lives. And I'm sure that gave him an opportunity to share about God to these men and the coming Son of God. Now, how did these men know that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem? You know, they, they could have gotten it from Daniel. Or they could have gotten it from a dream. Like in verse 12, we see that God gave a dream to the Magi, telling them to leave and not go back to Herod. But however they found out, Here's the one thing I want you to notice. These men were quick to obey God in following this star. Look, at, look, look down at the verse. It says, um, they followed this star, and this is a strange star. Uh, the Greek word for it is aster. It means star, right? It's a brilliant or radiant star. But the difference is this star moved. It was moving. And they were following it. Um, so many think it was maybe a comet. Others think it could have been Jupiter and Saturn aligning. I don't think so. What I think it was was probably the Shekinah glory of God. Just like Moses was led in the wilderness by that and the people of God, so these guys were being led by the glory of God. Now, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine the Magi waking up in the morning with Mrs. Magi? You know, and telling her, I just had a dream. And God told me to go 600 miles to go worship his son and, and to give gold and frankincense and myrrh and to worship him and crown him the king. You know, she'd probably look at him and go, you need to go back to bed, right? That would sound crazy, wouldn't it? You know, for us, going 600 miles is not a big deal. Well, for me it is. Um, it's 10 hours of driving. But for them, we're talking 60 to 80 days, right? This was an arduous 
trip, which would cost them a lot of money. But they did it. They obeyed God. Um, no matter what, they obeyed God. Um, they obeyed God like Noah, who built a huge ship when there was no clouds in the sky. They obeyed like Abraham, who was the father of nations, even though he was childless. They obeyed like David, who was victorious over Goliath, even though much smaller. Their faith was proven by their obedience. And the question is, is your life characterized by obedience to God, no matter what the circumstances. You know, the scriptures say that if you love Christ, then you will obey him. Now, that, that's not perfection. It's the direction of your life. Is the direction of your life, has it changed to where you want to follow after Christ? Well, the Magi did. The Magi did. And it was evidence of their faith. Well, also, these men were not only obedient, they were also humble men. Uh, look at 1b and uh, verse 2 again. It says, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, now notice that these guys come to town and they start asking. The word here is saying. So they didn't just ask once. They asked over and over and over again. They went all through Jerusalem asking, where is this child? And it appears like the star had disappeared for a while, right? Because they're having to ask people for directions. They're having to ask people for directions. Um, and notice they didn't come to town boasting. You know, God has called us. We're called to come worship the king. And they, they didn't come saying, why don't you guys know about Jesus? I mean, he's supposed to be your king, and you don't even know about him. No, they came to town, and they were humble. They were humble. Um, it appears like they understood that God had called them to worship Christ, not because they were great astronomers, not because they were great theologians, not because they were rich, not because they were wise. No, the God of the universe called them to come worship the baby Jesus because he was their king. He was their king. You know, this reminds me of another man's humility. His name was William Carey. William Carey is the father of modern-day missions. He went to India in 1793. His vast labors um, for Christ include translation of all or parts of the Bible into 40 different languages and dialects. Think of that. 40 different languages. This man was working day and night for God as a missionary, right? And, and he was the originator of the statement... Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Now listen to what Kerry said on his 70th birthday, which is amazing to me. Uh, it shows so much humility. He says this, I am this day 70 years old, a monument of divine mercy and goodness. Though on review my life, 
I find much, very much, for which I ought to be humbled in the dust. My direct and positive sins are innumerable. My negligence in the Lord's work has been great. I have not promoted His cause, nor sought His glory and honor as I ought. Notwithstanding all of this, I am spared till now, and I am still retained in His work, and I trust I will be received into divine favor through Christ. Is that an amazing statement? <laughs> this man, you know, translated the Bible into 40 different languages, and he's saying, I haven't done enough. And he sees all of his sin. Why would Carrie make a statement like that on his birthday? I think it's because he knew that all of his accomplishments meant nothing when they were compared to the righteous record that had been given to him. You know, Carrie could only boast in the righteousness of Christ that had been given to him, and that's the only thing that we can boast in. That's the only thing we can boast in. You know, there's a catchy saying that's been going around for years. It says, wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek him. But that isn't what the Scriptures teach. Romans 3.11 says this, there are none who seeks for God. All sinners hate God. They don't want to have anything to do with God. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 says this, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and to despise, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, just as it, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Notice what it's saying there? It's saying, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. God is the only one who could change your heart. God is the only one who could draw you by grace. And God is the only one who saved you by grace. But you know what? That doesn't mean you're not responsible. If you're out there this morning and you don't know Christ, Christ still calls you to respond. He doesn't call you to sit and say, I'm going to wait until God does something to me. I'm going to wait until God moves my heart. He doesn't say to do that. You know what he says to do? He says, repent and believe. Repent and believe. You're responsible to do that. That's what Acts chapter 2 talks about. Peter preaching the sermon uh, at, at Pentecost, speaking to 3,000 people. He said to the Jews, he said, you crucified Christ. And you know what their response was? What must we do? They were convicted. And Peter said, repent and believe. He didn't say wait. He didn't say wait till God moves. He said, repent. Turn from your sins. 
Believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. Re believe that Jesus lived a perfect life in your place and lived it so that you could have a perfect record when you put your faith in him. By grace, we have been saved. And what does that create in us? It creates humility. It creates humility. Well, let's look at the opposite of humility. Look at verses 3 through 8. We're going to see the opposite, which is Herod the Great. He ruled from 37 B.C. to 4 B.C. Look at verses 3. It says this. When Herod the, Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Messiah was to be born? They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. <laughs> Did Herod want to do that? No. He wanted to kill the child. Herod was a nut. He was a wicked man. Herod was paranoid in holding on to his power. In fact, he was so paranoid in holding on to his power that he killed three of his sons because he thought they were a threat. So you can imagine hearing about Jesus being the king of kings, what a threat that was to him. And, and you notice in verse 3 how it says, Jerusalem was troubled. You know, they weren't troubled about the visit of the Magi. They were troubled. How was Herod going to react to all of this? Because innocent people died when Herod was threatened. Now, Herod was not the only man who hated Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Each one of us, before we were his, hated Christ. We as sinners didn't want to have anything to do with Christ. We didn't want him to reign over our lives. We wanted to be kings over our own lives. But then it says in Ephesians 2, but God. But God in his mercy reached out to each one of us who are his and changed our hearts and allowed us to respond to the gospel. I mean, it reminds me of the Apostle Paul when he's on the road to Damascus, when he's ready to throw more Christians in jail. I mean, he was a modern-day terrorist. You know, he was killing Christians. He was torturing Christians. Can you imagine? And he's on to do more on the way to Damascus. And what happens? He meets Jesus. And the greatest persecutor of the church becomes its greatest preacher. Just like that. Amazing. You know, we, like the Apostle Paul, have been shown so much mercy. Which means we've received a pardon when we should have deserved judgment. How are you responding to this gift? 
You know, how are you responding to this gift? Because this gift should change proud hearts into humble hearts and should also change hearts that are ready to worship the king. And that's what these guys did. Look at verses 9 through 11, the Magi's response of worship. After hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. These guys traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles to worship the baby Jesus. And, and they came with much great expense to themselves, their families, and even possibly their reputations. You know, remember I said probably people thought they were crazy doing this. And they came not focused on themselves, thinking, what's in this for me? But they came thinking about, what's in this for God? I am called to worship the King. So it's not what's in it for me. And, and that's what we're called to do when we come to church. We're not called to come here and say, what's in it for me? But what can I give to Christ, my King? And notice also, with the worship, they gave to the King generously. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. They gave not from their wealth, but according to their wealth. You know, when you, when you give from your wealth, you can be a millionaire and give 10 bucks. And that can be from your wealth. But if it's according to your wealth and you're a millionaire, you can give $100,000. And that's giving generously. And that's what these men were doing. That's what they were doing. They were giving to the Lord generously. And many times in the Old Testament, the people of God would come to God with a sacrifice. They would give a, a sickly lamb or a, a lame sheep, and they would act as if God's not seeing what they were doing. But God would say to them many times, he would say this, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. But in vain do they worship me. Why was it in vain? Because they were keeping the letter of the law and not the spirit of the law. The Jews were serving God outwardly, but were not doing it from the lo a loving heart. The Magi, on the other hand, were loving God because he first loved them. One writer says this about God's love. He says, love for God then is the only acceptable motive for obedience to Him. This love may express itself in reverence for Him and a desire to please Him, but those expressions must spring from love. Without the motive of love, my apparent obedience may essentially be self-serving. Negatively, I may fear God will punish me. 
or at least will withhold his blessing from me because of some disobedience. I may abstain from a particular sinful action out of fear that I will be found out or because I don't want to feel guilty afterwards. Positively, I may be seeking to earn God's blessing through some pious action. I may conform to a certain standard of conduct because I want to fit in and be accepted by my Christian culture in which I live. All of these motives, all of these motives, both negative and positive, may result in an outward form of obedience, but it's not obedience from the heart. Our behavior may appear outstanding to others, but may not be acceptable to God because it doesn't spring from the motive of love for Him. Only conduct that arises from love is worthy of the name obedience. Look back at verse 10. It says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You know, I believe they also had great joy when they started on their way home. Why? Because they were humbly obedient. They were filled with worshipful giving. And all of that produces great joy. Produces great joy. You know, when I was a kid, we used to play football in my yard. And if there was a penalty involved, then instead of marching off 10 yards, because that was probably our whole backyard, you know, we would do a do-over, a do-over. And anytime I think of do-over, I think of the Christian life. I think we have been given by the, the gift of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift ever given. We have been given an ultimate do-over every day, every day we wake up. We have an ultimate do-over because of the grace of God. You know, think of Scrooge waking up filled with joy on Christmas Day. He's so excited to serve and give generously because of this second chance. We have been given a second chance every day. And we've been given the greatest gift ever given. How are you responding to that gift? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift that we've been given. Help us not to take it for granted or to abuse the grace that we've been given. We know that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. So let us marvel at this gift that we have received and let us return to you Thankful obedience, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.